0: Yeah so we we've started a series on um the renewing of the mind and I've come at it from a different angle in that there's a lot of material on the 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 house to do it and the program of you know renewing your mind and certain uh, it's it's not unique to christianity that as a man thinketh, so is he. And we're moving in the direction of what we're always thinking about. So are always thinking about that house you want, you're moving towards it. If you're always thinking about that person you like, you're moving towards them. If you're always thinking about that job you like, you're going to be studying towards it. So, so that's just part of life. That's the way God designed us, miraculous, supernaturally. And The renewing of the mind from a biblical point of view taken from Romans 12 verse 2 says, don't be conformed to the way this world thinks or the pattern of this world or be molded like this worldly system, worldly values, worldly principles. But be transformed. You can be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. There's a biblical renewing of the mind that... Sets us up for all God's promises, all God's purposes, all God's favor and what he wants to do on this planet through us. Amen. You're here for a reason. You were born in this generation for this generation. And uh, so our starting point is, is theocentric, which is a fancy, fancy word for God is at the middle, at the center. He and talking about he is the invisible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created by Jesus, the word. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones of powers in the visible or rulers and authorities in the invisible. All things were created by him, and for him he is before all things so he's before the created visible and the created invisible he is before all things and in him all things are held together now that's fascinating my starting point in this series has been that we need to differentiate between the god who is outside of time and space jesus in the beginning Genesis chapter 1 says, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. You say, does it say God? Yes, it does. But Jesus, in John John 1 verse 1, is referred to as God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And by Him, all things were created. So hopefully, we've moved past that. And we see that Jesus in his pre-human state as the eternal Son of God was the word that was spoken and materialized into our cosmos. But this happens at three levels. There's God outside in the uncreated, unseen realm. There at the top. That's where God has always existed in a very communal, loving holy, joyful manner, and he will eternally coexist. And his purpose was to take a family with them into the eternal future. And that was Project Earth. And Project Earth ran into some problems, and Project Earth didn't realize how bad those problems were until God gave them the law. And then suddenly, out of all the nations, he chose a nation that he could show them that something was wrong on the earth in the way people were thinking about him for starts, about themselves, and while they were still running to the bushes to hide from him, who was always reaching out to love them. And he has to progressively through... Covenants with Adam, covenants with Noah, covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, covenants then to Moses. He begins unpacking his nature, who he really is, in tangible expressions of the invisible. For example, the tabernacle. And those of you who haven't been here over the last week or or so, We've been doing some teaching around the tabernacle because there's an earthly tabernacle, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says, and there's a heavenly tabernacle. And the earth is a picture, a shadow of the real. But in that tabernacle, God is through that furniture giving warped minds the terminology and the understanding of how to relate to him. So man's mind since the fall, since the great rebellion, since the anarchy has fallen into a warped mind of selfishness, self-centeredness, egocentric, all about me, what I can get, walk over anybody else to get what I want mentality. And God is out there somewhere. He's very angry if he does exist at all. And anything that goes wrong on earth is an act of God. And even our insurance contracts confirm that. So God gets a real bad rep because man's mind is distorted. And it takes the unpacking of the covenants and then the tabernacle to start showing fallen man that something is terribly wrong, but God has not given up. And we saw, first of all, that we are a spirit. We sometimes put that in the middle, but actually the real me is spirit. And that spirit was dead to God. Through the new birth it is now seated in heavenly places in Christ in the unseen, uncreated realm. But my soul is in between. It's the in between my spirit in the Unseen, uncreated, and this physical, beautiful planet we live on called Earth. In this in-between stage, state, place, I don't know, okay, maybe we see it better then. In this in-between stage, we are a soul. We f- have fee- feelings, we have a, a, a mind that's capable of of storing information, making decisions, uh, Looking forward, uh, um, vision, anticipation, being proactive, we have this incredible mind in our soul that interacts between our body and this world we live in. everybody at some stage i 'm sure has had some of this teaching, but I just want to emphasize that the the, the soul the, at least the body is the, the the senses the five senses that interact with this beautiful planet taste good food, smell you know good perfumes, hear beautiful music, see mountain ranges and and and, and sunsets and beautiful open fields and uh, we interact with this planet through our senses that that 's our body, and that starts forming from from the in in the embryo in the embryo it starts to form through what it feels and tastes and smell and that grows throughout our life but our soul is what is connected to our spirit because our mind needs to be renewed from the outside in our mind can't be renewed from the world out it has to come from the spirit even when peter answered jesus question who do you say i am and he got it right. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. At that moment, he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father. So we see there's a renewing that needs to take place in the soul realm. Because that's where the mind is located. In effect, our emotions also have to be renewed. In effect, our will also has to be renewed. So we shouldn't just talk about the renewing of the mind. We should be re- talking about the renewal of our soul, our whole person, that needs to come into alignment with our spirit that is seated in the uncreated, unseen world of truth, life, holiness. And our body should be the servant of our soul, and not the other way around. So what I see doesn't determine what I've got to do. What the spirit has been renewed informs my mind, will, and emotions, and that's what my body does. So we saw that these are interconnected and not static. They move between the seen and the unseen, and I'm I'm a whole person. I'm not like I wake up in the morning and have to go find my spirit. You know? I'm not like, okay, I've got my spirit life all together. Heck, where's my body? You know, maybe it's in the cupboard. Let me go find my body. No, no, I'm an integrated person. They're all working together and informing each other. And we saw this in the picture of the tabernacle. This was some of the furniture that God gave to Israel in their covenant to explain and help them understand that God, first of all, is a holy God. Very holy in his love for his creation, in love with the Son, the Son in love with the Holy Spirit, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that they need to be approached through The offering of blood, which represents sacrifice. And the high priest would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, take blood from the outer courts where the animal was sacrificed, take it through the holy place, do his rites. You can read from uh, Exodus 25 for the next three books of the Bible if you want to know all the details. And then he would take the blood into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And in the Ark, it represented at some point man's rebellion. Because in that, in that Ark was the Ten Commandments. And we all know very well Moses wasn't the only one who broke the Ten Commandments. Also, there's the rod of Aaron, which was God's way of saying there will be a priesthood. Although I'm holy, I will allow you to approach me through a priesthood I will establish through Aaron, who then rebelled against God. And then we have the manna in the, whole, in the Ark of the Covenant. This manna also represents God's provision from God's side, but from man's side it represents his grumbling and complaining and moaning. And that's where the high priest goes in and sprinkles the blood. Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews... Fulfilled not the earthly tabernacle but the heavenly tabernacle by being crucified outside the camp, then came in as a, the Lamb of God through the outer courts, where, where in his lifetime, from birth and incarnation, he was working out your and my salvation. He went through baptism as obedience to God, he went through the water, he then goes through the, the, the sacrificial processes. As a young boy, he would go up to Jerusalem with his parents and go and make offerings and that. In his real life, he was the offering on the cross, the sacrifice. He then takes his blood to, towards the Holy of Holies, the heavenly sanctuary. He is and claims to be the light of the world. Th- those menorah uh, candle holder, those, those seven uh, candle holder uh, uh, lights... He says, that's who I am. I am the light of the world. The table with the bread. I am the bread of life. He goes through as an incense, it says in the book of Hebrews, a sweet smelling incense into the presence of his father. And he he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat, the slab of gold between the cherubim and the seraphim where the ark of the covenant was located. All of this had been in stilled into the minds of natural Israel. All of this had brought a warped, savage, barbaric mind into a place of understanding through the physical tabernacle. Now Christ comes and says, now you're ready to understand the true story, the true gospel. Let me show you myself what I'm doing. Can you see if he'd done it before that, it wouldn't have made any significance. But because the language had been created through the covenants of the old covenant he comes in and he is now the merciful high priest in the place of Aaron. He is the one who fulfills and keeps not just the 10 commandments that were there but the all 330 and more perfectly not because he floated on the ground when he woke up. He was a real man. He had the same impulses. He had the same thoughts. He knows exactly how it is to be tempted into depression. On the cross, the Bible says, he became the sin. So although he resisted sin all his life as a man, on the cross, he went right down to the bottom of the barrel, into the and the, the feces and the vomit, he went right down in there to the most gory, savage, barbaric place. Where you're too scared to open the lid because you know what you've hit inside there, you know what you've put inside there, you know what you don't want anybody else to see. But when you lift that lid off, that been, my friend, you see Jesus sitting inside there, sitting in your sin, sitting in your filth, sitting in your misery and your depression, and He says, I did it for you, and I did it as you. I didn't just live the perfect life for myself, I lived it because you could not live the perfect life, and I lived the perfect life for you, and then I became every sin that you could ever imagine of every human that's ever walked on this planet, every war Every war crime, every act of rape and promiscuity, I became that. And I took it in myself so that I could be your righteousness. Come on. (laughs) Jesus goes in and then something very significant happens. The veil is torn in two. No longer does a high priest go in once a year to offer the blood of a lamb. But when the curtain is torn, God is saying, the real God, Shekinah glory that appeared in the temple, it wasn't just a symbolic presence, it was the real presence of God, is now not only there On the day of atonement. But it's available as Christ walks out of the temple. And he goes to his disciples. The son who is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Because God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. (laughs) The torn veil is the hope of the world. Not just for the inner court, not just for the outer court, not just for the nation of Israel who were privileged to be the womb of the coming Messiah, but now entrusted the the message of reconciliation for all nations through us. And Jesus comes after his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, all authority on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a beautiful thing. And we understand that we have been entrusted as his ambassadors on earth to continue his work. Because God in his divine wisdom limited himself to man's activity on earth. That's why in fallen man, he didn't just push delete. He worked through the thoughts and speaking to people to create the right concept of who he was. Then took on actual flesh, John says. And then in his flesh fulfilled all the covenants, comes out of the Holy of Holies, and says now that I've received all authority, I have called you to be reconcilers of man back to God. You take this message that I've just preached. You take the simplicity of this gospel, which is we might say simplicity for us now, but to the warped and bent and skewed mind, it doesn't make sense. It's 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 nonsense, and it's 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 unbelievable. Not like unbelievable, hey, unbelievable, not believable. So with this as a backdrop, and I did do a little bit of repetition because I know I forget from week to week. Is that just like an age thing or no, it's not, hey? Hey, Mark, my mind's getting better and better each week. But I, I personally like repeating things because they just become more clear. It's like going around a spiral cir- uh, staircase. You think you're just going in circles, but actually you're climbing. You're climbing. So for myself, I, I love repeating. But sometimes I feel sorry for, for you all that you've got to hear me repeating because, like, you know, that's a, that's a preacher's insecurity has to deal with. But I'm getting over it now, okay? I'm repeating myself, and it's for your good that I'm repeating myself. So I did do a little bit of a repetition now for the purpose of saying I'm introducing the subject of renewing the mind through that framework. And the first of the topics, and I think I've got about 20 uh, listed already, is that of evangelism because it's such an important so, so, so let, me, let me explain what I'm going to do. Jesus tells a parable. We all may be familiar, but let's read together. He tells them this parable saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. So I'm sure many of us here are familiar with this parable. Three quarters of the seed Goes missing, gets wasted, is stolen. Only one quarter of the seed, and the seed is the message of the gospel. Jesus says, Authority has been given to me, now you go. Farmers, off you go. He has a bag of seed. Wherever you go and plant your seed, the starting point is two, three, three quarters of that is going to be stolen, wasted, and choked. I mean, I don't know in business terms, but... Okay, so you you got a quarter percent return on your investment. But of that quarter percent return, here's another um, caveat. There's going to be 30, 60, and 100-fold return. And first of all, Let's see why this three quarters is lost. Ultimately, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there's a blindness problem here. Almost got to start there. Uh, Rich, can I ask you a favor? In my bag there, are my glasses. I need to act my age. Or else I'll start preaching last year's series. Thank you, my friend. And thanks for coming to church, Richard. Let's give him a hand. I'm so glad he came to church today. I'm glad you got your third toe out of bed, Eh? eh? So, I got so excited in worship this morning, I forgot to put my glasses on. How's that? Hallelujah. Oh, sorry, wrong sermon, guys. That was last week, so I'll have to start again. Okay, just kidding. Okay, so this is this is the problem. There's a blindness problem. Okay? And... As we'll see, in the 30% fold return, at least in the zero fold return, there is no return because people are blind. And it takes a miracle for people's blindness to be uncovered. It won't happen by programs, techniques, and crusades only. It's got to be a sovereign work of the Spirit. As Jesus says in Luke 24, when he met with the men on the road to Emmaus, he took out the the scriptures and he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. There's something about a sovereign work. When people hear the scriptures, that that blindness problem can only be rectified by supernatural intervention. There's another scripture where Paul is praying, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches, this is the hope of the glory, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This is God's predestined plan for you, to be his holy people. Not to become his holy people, To be his holy people. And in his comparably great power for us who believe, the power is the same as the mighty strength exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So we see, there's a blindness problem and then there's the open eye problem. Before we even get to the one-quarter seed that has to do with the return. And these levels I could call the 30% are the infants. Infant, church, infant maturity, infant re- mat- return. And then 60% would be mature mature. Sons and daughters, maturing sons and daughters, and 100% would be sons and daughters. What do you mean by that, Steve? Well, let me take you through those three stages and hopefully bring some illumination. So, the scene created is a limited place. Let's call it level one. So, in level one, uh, or the outer quarter, whatever you you, you want to uh, illustrate it, the scene created is is the realm uh, where the I'll call him a converter for lack of a, a better word. It's the person delivering the message. The converter sounds like a like an electronic device. Eh? No, it's the person ministering and there 's different there 's different ways that he can go about it or at a level one level it can be a program driven that 's like a course you learn to and you memorize a a, a route uh, a message that you then hopefully deliver to somebody and they 'll you know be blown away about and fall on their knees and call call out to God for help, which i haven 't seen yet uh, because it Depends, unfortunately, uh, on, oops, on a duty-driven approach, which is, you know, if you don't go out and share the gospel, the, their blood's going to be on your hands. There's a duty, so you feel a compulsion, a kind of a, a have-to. Um, I, I remember seeing guys in the UK standing on the street corner on boxes and, and shouting at the people walking past shouting that their veins were sticking out their throat and their faces were bright red. And they were shouting at the people and telling them, don't you know there's a coming wrath of God coming on this earth? And I stood there looking at this and I thought, are these guys actually, are they happy themselves? Because I'm sure the people walking past are going, hey, but I've got enough of my own problems. I don't know what you are. I'm trying to get off some stuff. You look like you're on that same stuff. You know, there, there's this like, duty and uh, guilt-driven is another one. That guilt often comes um, at a place of, uh, like, make people feel bad enough that, that they'll want God to make them good enough. And, and I understand there's some element of people recognizing their fallenness. But often it's done in a way that the person delivering the message delivers it to someone who's arrived. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember when I had that problem. You know, you don't have to have that problem if you do this and this and this. And it can be a little bit of a patronizing um, way to get people to feel guilty. We're talking at level one here, okay? And then are fear-driven. That's got to be the best. Who came to church? Who gave their lives to the Lord purely out of fear? Fear of going to hell? Wow, isn't that amazing? You mean we ran a program called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames and we had 11,000 converts' papers at the end of it all and I don't see one people who got scared into heaven... And had health scared out of them. I'm shocked. Am I saying those things are wrong? No. You know, whatever blows your hair back. I'm just saying 30% fruitfulness. I mean, my son was so terrified that he came to church every week for three months after that to give his life to the Lord. Just in case. He went through his dip, but I'm pleased to say he's doing pretty well. So that's level one. And then the response to the, the converter or the minister of the message at a level one level is there's ho- the hope is that I'll be saved from hell and hopefully get to heaven. I say hopefully because you never guaranteed. Have you been to church enough this month? Have to tick your box? Did you read enough? Did you read through your Bible last year on that Bible plan you got given? Yeah. Did you knock on three doors? I, I remember duty-driven evangelism, knocking, seeing the f- look on the face of the person on a Saturday afternoon when you knock on their door in, in your suit with uh, a Bible under your arm. On a set, and they come wiping the sleep out of their eyes. It's like the only afternoon they've had off the whole week. They've been working all day. All and like how you want to tell them your story, you know. Thirty percent. Because often that relies... lies. Sorry, I keep going. I, I thought they'd come up in bullet. Often, often the hope is that I might get to heaven. The, these new converts are believing um, that if I knock on enough doors and irritate enough people on a Saturday afternoon and attend church and read my Bible, uh, then, you know, although God is at a distance there, he's going to be pleased with me. and He's going to give me more ticks than crosses. And that's, that's the baby stage, the infant stage of Christianity, the 30%. I say, I say 30%. Listen, if you're in that 30%, Kudos to you, because if you believed on Jesus, even if you do go this route, I'm going to see you in in glory, but the problem with this level of 30% is that because of a strong mixture of law and grace, often... They end up dissatisfied with Christianity, find it boring, find it pointless. You know what's the big deal? I go to church. I've got to get three toes out of out from under my sheets next Sunday. I drag myself to the outer courts and stand in the rain. You know what's the point of this? Oh, you know, I've knocked on doors. I've knocked on. You know, at that level, you also believe the supernatural has passed because you were taught that in your church. The gifts were for the apostles. The Holy Spirit came for the apostles, fell on the apostles for that season, but we've moved on now because we've got the Bible. We don't need gifts. We don't need to see people healed. We don't need the, the, the moving of the Spirit and all that nonsense. But it leads to an apathetic, vanilla-flavored Christianity that more than likely results in people staying away from church, staying away from church, eventually being disillusioned, have no heart to support missions, no heart to be involved in a local church, support the local church, because the motivation's gone. This is the danger of level one, 30%. Input and response. Now it's okay to be a baby for a while. You know? When little baby says, Mama want milk, mommy runs to the fridge and gets milk. 18 year old says, Mama want milk, mother should say, Go get it yourself. Okay. So it's okay to be a baby. This is not an anti baby message. This is just saying that babies need to grow mature. And say, there's more for me to be renewed into as a Christian. And that transition can be very difficult. My own wife is a case in point here. She was in a very staunch, religious, denominational upbringing. Grannies, grandpas, everybody. It's like being, being a Muslim, you know. They don't just leave... Their faith, they leave their whole world. And she went to a meeting where she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And her life just, she, she came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. She, she attended a few of these wild prayer meetings. She was just touched and slain in the Spirit. That whole kind of late, uh, kind of mid-80s uh, time just a move of the spirit and she went home and told her mother who was really disappointed and who clearly told her that was not what she was born into she's to stick with her denomination and any other would be excommunicated and and she came up against some serious resistance incidentally her mother also eventually got baptized in the holy spirit and went into a, a charismatic church but 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 so, so, so Janet found herself in a charismatic church, not a Pentecostal, differentiating. If you sort of track with me there, a charismatic church, clapping and happying and 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 even wearing makeup, and you know. But it came at a cost because she came under criticism and changing lanes from level one where you've got it, all your boxes ticked, you live in the seen-created world of Christianity. If I see it, I believe it. I believe it when I see it. If it can be tested, if a science has said it's true, then it's true. And limiting myself to what the natural teaches me, then I will never produce beyond 30%. When I take the step across into level three, Level two, the convert or the minister, whoever's uh, inputting into my life, is teaching and demonstrating the convert into the next level. And for that, there's this ongoing process of renewing the mind. So, Janet, now, in a sense, is a good example of someone who stepped into level two, 60% return. On a convert, taught to be, she was baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, started to understand why she's part of a local church, started being discipled and saw the importance of disciples. But here's a proviso on stepping into stage two it's not as important what you step out of as what you step into. Because there's a lot of tongue-talking, Bible-preaching, devil-chasing churches that believe in the supernatural but have mixed the covenants of law and grace so badly that you become twice the slave of hell that you were before. And there's a worse kind of control. Because it's not from the Pope down. Oops, did I say that loud? But it's... From the man of power with these six bodyguards with their dark glasses and walkie talkies and the smoke machine and the manipulation of. I see seven people here this morning with a thousand rand in their pockets. Yes, it's going once, I'm going twice, going three times. I see it's you. I say, first up here we'll get it. only the first ten. No, 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 not you, sorry. And there's this manipulation that can take place. In these crazy-matic churches, I mean charismatic churches. Where the man of God is elevated to this high position. And the clergy just worship him. But hey, they speak in tongues. Hey, they preach a message that, you know, get rich, get health, healthy, wealthy. And no, no problems in your life. And this is the message that can get preached in this kind of second level stage with a mixture of covenants. And I'm so glad to God that sweeping across the world today is this message of the new covenant, the finished work of the cross, grace. The only gospel. It's not a new gospel. It was the original gospel that the apostles fought for. I myself was an example of someone who stepped into a hyper-legalistic. I won't tell you my story again. But I remember f- coming, feeling led to the, to the Grace and Glory Conference in 2009 and, and in, in Hong Kong. And I'd never been one for, you know, the Toronto blessing, go to Toronto, you know, Brownsville. Go, you know, I, but, but I don't know, something about when I heard Rob a message, and I'd known him for 20 years before that, I just thought, I've got to go, okay, there's something to be caught here. Went over with a group of friends, got back, started sitting with the elders, talking the stuff through, working it through with the church. I know some of you are there. You got so tired of me speaking about it every Sunday, and I'm still speaking about it in you year. So that's amazing. That's a miracle. And I remember phoning Greg Haswell. Hey, Greg, man, have I lost the plot? I've gone out of my mind here. And he bursts out laughing. He says, Right now, I'm taking my leadership through Andrew Farley's book, The Naked Gospel. This is 2010. And if you ever, and I'd read that book, and if you ever get a chance to read it. And it's the pure, beautiful gospel. I'm like, you're kidding me, Greg? And then we made jokes about some of our backgrounds and some of our like ridiculous uh, things we did in the church and our expectations and our, our legalism and all this in the name of, of, uh, let me not mention who, whose name it was in, but moving to 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 level three. And I'll do this in the next. Oh, I pushed the wrong button. Now, there we go. Renewing the mind. Ah, level three. The converter or the minister um, is often different people that God uses in this journey. So going from level one, level two, level three, sometimes requires a different input, a different minister, ministry. For for me, I'm, I've got those who've really ministered like Andrew Womack, like Rob, like others uh, that you might even not like, like Joseph Prince and people, you know, <laughs> that's just supposed to be a joke, that have, I've, I've feasted from from that ministry, is God uses maybe not just one person, because one person doesn't have all the truth, but a team of people that have got different gifts that bring you to full maturity. And the level three uh, convert is on the authentic track of discipleship through the the renewing of the mind. Level three, or moving into a 100% Return A hundredfold return on the seed that was sown is, is a security in what Jesus did. In understanding that in my spirit, who I really am, I'm seated in God right now between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That right now, I discover that God's will can be proved. His good and perfect and pleasing will can be proved. My language starts to change. I don't... Talk like, if only I had that, I'd be happy. If only I had him, I'd be happy. If only I, I was living in New Zealand, I could reach my new. Pit. We don't talk about if only, if only, if only. We talk about, I have Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit, and I have the Father. And the way we talk starts changing. And the way we talk, it's so important that even our self-talk begins to become as He is, so am I in this world. I'm joined to the Lord, therefore I'm one spirit with Him. It's no longer me living, but I'm living in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places. Come on, church, how do you talk to yourself inwardly? What is your inward talk like? Because it's so easy to slip into... you know well i'm just you know i come from a very bad background and i don't know if i'll be anything and you know my grandfather was poor and my father was poor and at level three, something has changed from the inside out. Something in my spirit has come alive to the fact that I'm seated in the Holy of Holies with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And out of that place, my emotions are being healed. My mind is being restored. My, 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 my will is to do the will of Him who called me. And in my body, my physical world is outworking what I have in my spirit. It's from the inside and it's moving out and I watch the way I talk because it's no good saying this, what I'm talking about here and then you walk out here and you use other language. I thought it was quite funny this week uh, I got pulled up by a friend of mine who happens to be sitting at the back there behind the camera Uh, uh, they've got a couple of dogs in their house and one of the dogs has clearly clearly, clearly got dementia dementia no, no, true, true story, true story. Gets lost. Goes looking for a pee and forgets that it wants to pee. So it comes back and then pees inside. You know, goes out, kind of. So so we were talking about this, and, and I kind of said without even thinking, I said, oh, so it's not just us who get dementia. Oh, and uh, he said, uh, why do you say us? I took it on the chin. I laughed. I thought it was quite funny. But it was a good illustration of what I'm trying to say. You see, sometimes we just flippantly say things about ourselves. I'm never going to cope with life at the moment. I'm just too busy. I just can't sleep at night. I just go, you know, We fight all the time. You know, we do, and, and without even knowing it, we are talking, a self-talk, where we, sh- where we it's corrupting our spirit our soul it's corrupting our emotions it's corrupting the way we think it's corrupting the way we the, the direction we're moving in and it's level one talk it's 30% talk or at the best 60% but when we move towards a place of knowing who we are in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when Trinitarian relationship becomes as real as the local church I belong to or the family I belong to, when my spirit world becomes my real world and I can have silence because I know where I am, I know where I'm seated, I pray differently. I don't ask Him to do the things He's told me to do. I speak to the storm. I ask for the kingdom to come. On earth as it is in heaven. You see, at level one, in 30%, the only hope you got is you might get to heaven. In level two, your hope is you, you might and probably will get to heaven, but hopefully the rapture will come soon. And get me out of this mess. Level three, you're praying, let earth match up with heaven. And I'm determined to live in a piece of it right now. I can say, I want to live out of my spirit. That means if my spirit's in heaven, I can live on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. He says, Steve, you're losing your mind. You're taking this too far. I don't think I've taken it far enough. So I conclude with this. I really conclude. Christ gave us all these gifts so that the church could be built up Until we reach the unity of faith and a knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, say mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What? Me? The the full measure? Really? Can can I move from one, two to three? From 30%, 60%? Is it possible that my mind, my soul can be renewed to a point where. I can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? You mean the same Jesus who said the things I do, you're going to do in greater things? He had to be so secure. And then, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves, storms in our life, and get blown here by hearing... CNN stories and hearing some more uh, uh, conspiracy theories and craftiness and deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Can you say thank you, Lord? I believe believers across the world that reach this place of fullness in their maturity in Christ by doing. What they were called to do is going to see 100% global revival. And if we're happy to live with 30%, I think that's where it is at the moment, then that's where we're going to stay. I think maybe we might be closer to 60%, all honesty. But we're nowhere near 100%. And if the church around the world come to this knowledge of the full stature of Christ, everyone doing what they're called to do in the kingdom, we will see what we've been longing. Let's pray. I know I've gone a bit over time today, but I felt necessary. But I pray that this word would sit deeply in the soul of this church. I pray that even in our sleep tonight, that these words would resonate. The picture of the tabernacle, the picture of the invisible, created, uncreated visible, and the uncreated invisible would give a new concept to living out our life, body, soul, and spirit. And we'd live in the 100%. We would aim for the 100%. We wouldn't be satisfied. We wouldn't give up.